It's all the files of the whole park. It tells her everything. Sir, he's uploading the virus. Eagle One, the package is being delivered. I'm Matthew Galt, and this is Cyber. This week we're doing something a little different. We're looking into the future. With me today is Vice 2030 fellow Samir Ferdowsi. Samir, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Matthew. Thank you so much for having me on here. So can you tell us a little bit about the 2030 project? Definitely. So Vice's 2030 project is a fellowship program for one year. And basically the goal of it is to look into the future and really figure out what we need to do by 2030 to make the world a little bit more habitable and more feasible place for for everyone to live on. There's five of us residents here and we're coming from all across the country looking at different areas of of how we can improve as as a human race. So we're about to listen to 2030 Project's latest drop, which explores the future of community. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Definitely. So what this drop is about on community is really looking at what that word means going into the future. It's very cliche if you just think about this is my community, that's your community. But in especially in the digital age, we're re- realizing that these these ideas of community and ideas of companionship are being broken down into either very niche categories or very macro, very large categories. So, yeah, we're looking at different ways that, that we, again, can come together and uh, as cheesy as it sounds, make the world a better place, and this time by by building a different type of community with each other. Well, let's get into it. I'm here with Setare Sarouche, the Women's Rights Director for Middle East Matters. Setare, thank you so much for being here. Of course. Thank you for having me, Samir. I have been looking forward to this podcast for quite some time now. I'm very excited to be here. Thank you so much. So just so people are aware, can you sort of introduce what you do with Middle East Matters and what Middle East Matters is? Sure. So as you mentioned, I am the Women's Rights Director at Middle East Matters, which is a nonprofit organization that was established in 2019, but became fully functional in 2020. What we do is, I mean, our slogan says it all in just a few words, but we advocate, amplify and assist. So we try to create awareness about the issues and not just the issues, but about the Middle East in general, whether they're political issues or humanitarian issues or just creating awareness about the culture and what Middle East is really about. So uh, the reason our founder came up with Middle East Matters was the lack of youth-run spaces and media platforms covering the Middle East. We always heard news from mainstream media is about the Middle East, but they always came with a hidden agenda. So if a mainstream media was covering an issue or something major that was happening in the Middle East, there was obviously some political hidden agenda attached to it. And we realized that because of that, the people in the Middle East were not being heard. And us Middle Easterns outside of the Middle East had the privilege and had the opportunity to be heard by using our platform, whether it be social media or just, you know, protesting and speaking to our friends and creating conversations. And we realized that we really need to create that space and trigger that activism in our Middle Eastern peers. Thank you. So, and that's the thing that I am so interested in. And I think everyone is really excited about when it comes to Middle East matters is 
you're creating this community that hasn't really existed with Middle Easterners before, especially here in the United States, because you really become a rallying cry for, you know, first generation and second generation um, Middle Easterners who maybe their parents have come over during times of revolution or times of famine and drought in the Middle East. So I'm very interested to hear your take at sort of what it's been like to be, you know, spearheading this movement because it really hasn't existed before for people who, you know, are are your age or my age here in the United States and just outside of the Middle East. You know, as, as I mentioned earlier, and as you mentioned, that lack of space for us and the previous generation, the generation before us, we're not as active. I'm not I'm not saying they're not active. There are always people who try to create a change. And there were people in, in the generations before us, but they were not as active and as optimistic as we are today. I can talk on behalf of Iranian Americans because I am Iranian. There is always that fear embedded in our heads, that fear of authority, right? That prevents us from getting engaged, from getting involved. I usually have these conversations with people that are much older than me, be it like my parents or family friends. And I say, you know, we have that power to create change. We have the power to be heard, to donate, assist people, or like, you know, do things. And every time I say that, they just go back to that old thing that, you know, it's dangerous. What makes you think you can change the world all, all on your own? And it's just that they're always so occupied with their own little problems that they never really got the chance to, you know, take a look around and see that they have the power to change things. And I honestly don't blame them when it comes to Iran. It's always like, okay, you know, there was the Shah and then they people wanted change and it, it only happened for the worst. And so when you talk about change, it kind of scares them. But the other thing is that, you know, we are living at a time where it's no longer just what I want as an individual for in order for us to survive, in order for us to see the future, we need to unite and do things that would help us reach that ideal state, that ideal just state. And I feel like our generation understands that more. It's probably because we don't think that we can be, you know, easily distracted or satisfied with material stuff. And so we're trying to find that satisfaction by doing some real change and getting involved. I actually learned how to become active and advocate and become an activist in the United States. I was born in Iran, but raised in Dubai. But as, as, as I mentioned earlier, that, that fear of authority is always embedded in your head where you're like, you know, do I really have that freedom of speech or is that just a myth? And then when I came to the United States, I realized that, you know, you have, it is your constitutional right to form an assembly, to be heard, to express yourself. And um, this gave me the, the power to not just voice my opinions and be my own voice, but try to amplify the voices of others that don't actually have the platform or the opportunity to be heard. And I think that's something that the generation before us didn't necessarily understand, that we are privileged and there are people that are deprived of these basic, basic rights of just having a voice and being heard. I couldn't agree more with all of that. And it's really interesting to me how you talk about the generation before us wasn't really able to mobilize and say what they wanted to say 
because of, you know, the restraints they had, whether it be because of location or just because of, you know, cultural norms. One thing that I really want to touch on is how Middle Easterners and, you know, as you were saying, we're Iranian Americans, so we can speak to our experience. But at the same time, I feel like because of, you know, our our upbringing here in the United States, um, or at least a lot of our upbringing here in the United States, we're able to kind of create a solidarity with other Middle Easterners. And I know you and I have talked about this before, but do you want to touch on that idea of you're helping amplify voices that might not have a voice in other countries? So what kind of, you know, solidarity are you seeing as um, an organization and as an activist with Middle East matters across the Middle East? Thank you for mentioning that. And something that I wanted to bring up was the fact that um, what I really love about this organization is the fact that it's not Iran matters or Iraq matters or Syria matters. It's the Middle East matters. You know, it's it's not that, okay, so I'm Iranian and I'm only going to show compassion and I'm only going to sympathize with the issues that are happening in Iran. That's not true. When we talk about the Middle East, we, we talk about the entire region, actually a little to, you know, Central Asia as well, where, where we talk about Afghanistan and other countries as well. You know, I'm just trying to create that comparison between us and like the previous generation where it has, there's always been, I'm not going to say conflict, but things have been rocky between like Iranians and Arabs for, for a very long time. I'm in Iran or I'm talking to my Iranian peers. They always refer back to that Iran-Iraq war. And every time I talk about, you know, Arabs' lives and how they're having conflict and how they need help, they always have that struggle of, you know, but what about Iranians? What about Iranians? So we never had the opportunity to show solidarity and like unite and say, you know what, we are a region regardless of the political issues and everything else that is happening. We need to unite in order to just, you know, have a safe Middle East and just to amplify the voices of the people inside the Middle East. I've had friends where we shared stories about, you know, Iraq or Syria or Palestine and said, oh, you know what's happening in Iran? You know, we learn to unite. We learn to show compassion for each other. Our generation cannot really afford to have that individualistic mindset. You know, we, we need to show solidarity. We need to unite in order to create actual change and create a more just world. And that's the thing I don't think many people outside of the Middle East really understand is how honestly divided things were in the past. And I'm really hoping, you know, our generation through organizations like Middle East Matters is able to create this new holistic community of we're not just Iranians, we are Middle Easterners, or not just Arabs, we're not just Palestinians, we're not just Syrians, we are Middle Easterners. And I think that really stems from the idea of you know, as I'm sure you know, there's a lot of tensions between, especially here in the United States, if someone calls you an Arab and you're Iranian or someone calls you Iranian and you're an Arab, that really strikes a nerve with the older generation. But for you and I, it's more of, as you said, we're all human and we just want to see the best for the Middle East. Because if there's good things happening in the Middle East and if that region is sort of brought back up to where it was I think it really will benefit the whole global geopolitical scale. And I think we're on the right direction, but 
we need more organizations like Middle East Matters who are really using the internet to help break these taboos that have been so entrenched in the community for such a long time. And that's the other thing I wanted to ask you about is how have you seen the internet? Because the internet is a very, I guess, very controversial medium in the Middle East. So how have you been using the internet to break these taboos and really push a more holistic and worldly agenda with Middle East matters and your activism in general? I was actually having this conversation with a friend of mine the other day about, you know, uh, the impact that the internet has had on on breaking taboos. See, the internet is a tool for breaking echo chambers and starting conversations about topics that we don't usually discuss in Middle Eastern spaces, such as LGBTQ plus rights, femicides or so-called honor killings, um, and women's rights issues like period taboos, period poverty, violence against women, mental health. And so I think that we've had the opportunity to use the internet to our advantage. I mean, right, there are many people, there are plenty of trolls on the internet, plenty of conspiracy theorists that um, use the internet in a way that would spread wrong information or do things that are not necessarily right. But the good thing about the internet is that you can reach a large number of people in such a short amount of time. So with the water crisis that's happening in Iran, as for the moment, we had a post shared yesterday. And we have had Iranian and non-Iranian and Arab celebrities and influencers share this post to their audience, which were like millions and hundreds of thousands. And we were able to raise a large amount of money. We didn't raise that money, but there was someone that was raising money and we, you know, shared their posts and said, you know, if you want to help, you could reach out to them in Iran only. And so it's a constant reminder of how powerful the internet is and how helpful it is in breaking taboos and starting conversations. I remember the first time that the internet helped me break a taboo in my own family was that there were certain things that I didn't necessarily talk about, like, you know, period poverty or violence against women. And I saw that being discussed online so normal that it was just, you know, in my head, I was like, why haven't I been able to talk about this, you know, with my family, with my friends for such a long time when there are people on the internet discussing it like it's nothing. And that kind of gave me the courage to go after topics that are considered taboo, but are being shared, you know, that are being talked about on the internet. And that allowed me to understand that, you know what, the internet could create a safe space for anyone, but they just need to find their people first. And that's what we try to do with Middle East Matters. You know, topics such as um, after Black Lives Matter movement, we started talking about the issues of racism in the region. And we started talking about, uh, for instance, Haji Firuz and, uh, you know, the Iranian culture. And we did receive a lot of backlash, but at the same time, because it was such a taboo topic, you know, when it, when it comes to Iran, it's always, unfortunately, we have this thing where we're like, you know, why are you trying to ruin our reputation? Or why are you trying to portray a bad image of us Iranians? But that's not the truth. Our generation is responsible for creating positive change, right? And that's not only 
by just leaving everything behind and starting a new day, but it's by dissecting our cultures, everything that we had wrong and trying to fix all the wrongdoings that we, we had been doing for such a long time. And so breaking taboos through the internet, I love the internet for that because if it wasn't for that, we would not have, I could not have a conversation with someone across the globe about, you know, femicides uh, that are happening in Jordan or about period poverty or about racism or LGBTQ rights inside of Iran. And so I think that it plays an important role. The reason that we are able to have these conversations right now um, is the internet. No, I totally agree. And also, for those who don't know, Haji Firuz is a blackface character who is common around times of spring during Persian New Year's. And it, it is an exact example of, you know, you're able to amplify these problems to a wider audience in the country because of the internet. And they're able to learn why this might or why this is not a, a very appropriate um, way to celebrate any holidays. So, yeah, I think that's a... a extremely good example. And I want to quickly touch on also with the internet and things like Haji Farooz, as you talked about, what sort of backlash have you received as an organization and again, as a personal activist in, in this community? So, okay, being an activist in the Middle Eastern community is not easy. Well, first of all, it's because every time you try to have like humanitarian talks or political talks, everybody is just like, okay, so how old are you again? <laughs> so what do you do exactly? And they always try to like discredit you. Again, that was one of the reasons that lack of space was the reason that Middle East Matters was found. But the issue that we face a lot and the backlashes that we receive are mainly from for Haji Firuz, as I mentioned, it was more of a, you know, why are you trying to portray a negative image of, of Iran and Iranians? And they try to, as soon as you mention something that, you know, some other regime or some other political party had mentioned previously, they try to label you as, okay, you know what, you're with this organization or you're with this political party or you're with this regime. And I'm just I'm just going to clarify this right now. Middle East Matters is entirely apolitical. You know, we don't get funded by any political organizations or any interest group or anything. But what they usually do is that in order to discredit us and in order to shut us down, they try to label us and they try to stick us with different organizations. But over time, they realize that, you know, if our audience sticks to us. They realize that, okay, we are not really with any organization because every time there is a humanitarian crisis, we talk about it, you know, regardless of what country, I mean, what country in the Middle East it is or what regime is supporting it or what regime is against it. These are some of the backlashes that we received as a community and as an organization. Personally speaking, the backlashes that I have received most of the time were just, you know, you don't know enough. I'm like, okay, well, I, I study political science. I research all the time. I do this, I do that. But yet, you know, because it's still not that common in our community to be activists in the Middle Eastern community, you are somehow discredited and you always feel like you have to try harder and harder in order to convince people to follow you because they always think, okay, you know what? 
I'm not going to go to this protest. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to share this because there is a hidden agenda to it. So these are some of the issues that we face. I mean, it's a process, right? We're still growing. Middle East Matters is, is still, you know, small. We're still trying to expand and become bigger, uh, perhaps more um, helpful in the region. And what we really try to do, regardless of it all, is just to try to provide unbiased information and just try to help people and amplify their voices. You know, we're not a media group. Um, we're not going to claim that. But again, we just feel like we are responsible to um, talk about the little issues, the local issues that are happening inside the Middle East and have them be heard by everyone else that is outside and probably ask them to advocate for us and amplify their voices. Because, you know, we have the privilege to have a voice and be heard, but the ones inside the region don't have that. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. So you're doing all this work on the internet. You're talking about this backlash that you are receiving and other members of Middle East Matters are receiving. But one thing that I really want to touch on and I think is extremely important to touch on is the idea of security for you and your members and even people that engage with Middle East Matters online. We've seen even over the past week examples of authoritarian governments coming at journalists, coming at activists and really coming at their privacy in a way that previously wasn't really thought of. I'm curious as to what you have to say about how you're staying safe as a digital activist, particularly de dealing with the Middle East. Unfortunately, there is no guarantee. I mean, there is no security. It's just, okay, so we will do as much as we can. And that fear will always be there. You know, that fear of, okay, then what if once I go to Iran, you know, they'll They'll have me detained and they'll start asking me questions and they'll interrogate me. Or what if, you know, if if Middle East matters blows up, then, you know, what if we will be threatened as well? Right now, um, we're not really at that position because we don't necessarily spread like political messages. We center human rights and that's political. That's entirely political. I know that, especially when we talk about the Middle East, where just, you know, having basic human rights in order in order for you to have basic human rights um you need to go out there and protest and risk your life we've bought the risks it it comes with it you know it's never just that okay i'm going to tone it down a little because it might be dangerous for me and my family i think once you want to get involved you keep in mind all the risks, everything else, every single possibility of what could possibly go wrong and the consequences. 
But you would have to accept that with all of your heart and say, okay, you know what? There is a bigger goal. And if it's worth it for me, if it's worth it for the organization, then we'll, we'll proceed. But we don't necessarily have that sense of security. It was just, I believe, last week where an Iranian journalist was the target of an Iranian government kidnapping plot, allegedly. And that's the sort of risk I think people need to realize you at Middle East Matters are taking. It's really, especially as a digital platform where your stuff can spread or your information can spread like wildfire. It's a very insane risk that you are all taking, but you're charging it fearlessly. And I think people really need to understand how brave you all are. The internet is a massive place and it can get shared very quickly. So lastly, I want to ask, you know, what is next for Middle East Matters? Do you have plans to expand your platform or, you know, what is the next step for, for your community? I've actually spent a lot of time trying to figure out what we want to do next. But our main goal is to increase our audience and create a bigger community I'm very grateful that we've actually had the opportunity to grow in the past year and become fully functional and reach our audience and actually have some people and get like some people involved and engaged that weren't necessarily political or advocates or activists. But we have seen that grow and we're just hoping that, you know, we would reach a higher audience, a higher number of people, and also be heard more to a point that we would actually create change. You know, right now we we do have petitions, we have researches, we do, we start campaigns and we throw fundraisers, we hold fundraisers. But what we do right now is just try to like, you know, help local places and local issues, whether people are deprived of water or they need basic things such as shelter or healthcare or medicines. We try to provide that, but we want to reach a level where we could do that in a larger scale and create change on a larger scale and help people in a larger scale and actually become the platform that people could count on and people could have that sense of safety with. You know, we would create that space where People would reach out to and say, hey, you know what, I'm having this issue. Please talk about this issue. And we would have the resources to cover everything. And I feel like that's really the goal with, you know, the Middle Eastern activist community in general is just creating the solidarity with people who are Middle Eastern and who are not. And, you know, there are a lot of security issues at risk and there are a lot of, you know, hurdles to jump over. But it's a very... We're trending in the right direction, and I'm very interested to see where, where this goes. So Middle East Matters, you can find them on Instagram and other social media platforms. And again, Setra, thank you so much for uh, coming on Cyber and speaking with us. Of course. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having Middle East Matters on your podcast. Um, it's been a pleasure. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan 
turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com.